the presence of the Lord, the Holy One is here. Come bow before Him now with reverence and fear. In Him no sin is found. We stand on holy ground. Be still for the presence of the Lord, the Holy One is So you know, we had a super time yesterday. We spent uh, time in the presence of the Lord, and hopefully we're going to uh, spend time in the presence of the Lord today, worshipping him, offering him um, ourselves, offering him our prayers, and hearing Peter preach on, um, on the, uh, the, the last installment in uh, 1 Timothy before we turn into our Lent service. Is that correct? Yeah. All right, then. Um, the first... 
edition of the service plan that came out, I thought um, P Peter was preaching on foreign travel. Um, because it said the theme was given as overseer, overseas and deacons. Fortunately, he's not going overseas. But uh, the, the true t uh, title is overseers and deacons, overseers um, being what we would nowadays call a bishop. Uh, but Peter will tell you much more, um, much more about that in, in due course, I hope. Before, as we start our service, let's just be quiet. One of the underused quality, human qualities in the, in the Christian life is the use of the imagination. And so as we sit quietly in the presence of the Lord, let us, if you like, in your mind's eye, see him standing in our midst. He says, be still, know that I am God. That's what we've just heard. Be still, for the presence of the Lord is here. Be still, for the glory of the Lord is here. Be still, for the power of the Lord is here. Power to heal, power to forgive. As we come into his presence, it may well be there are things on your mind that you want to lay before him. So let's do that now. As remember that we went, when he was crucified, he became sin for us. so that we might become the righteousness of God. So let's receive our forgiveness. And once again, walk in the truth of that scripture that says, because of what Jesus has done, we now have peace with God. Amen. Our first song, which we haven't sung for quite a long time, reflects that truth. So let's stand. Um, if anyone wants to bring the kids up to the front, we've got some percussion instruments for them to play. All right? So if you'd like to come and help yourself and bang a few, we will certainly want you up here for the next song. But let's start uh, with this one. Accepted, I'm forgiven. I am fathered by the true and living God. I'm accepted, condemnation. I am loved by the true and living God. There's no guilt and fear as I draw near. To the Savior and Creator of the world There is joy and peace 
Sing holy, holy, God Almighty. So, kids, grab something that you want to. All right? Yeah, that looks good. Why don't you bang that one? Okay. Yeah. All right then. Okay. All right then. Okay. What I want you to do is bang it like this. Bang, 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 bang. You give me one, and I'll show you what to do. Okay. Everybody wants to clap with me. There we go. Do you want to bang that one? There you go. Oh, 
sorry. we celebrate you in our midst as we believe that you are indeed here we want to say with all our beings praise with us the God of grace praise you Lord for the grace that you've poured out on each one of us praise you for the forgiveness of sins you've poured out on each one of us praise you for the hope of glory that you've poured out on each one of us thank you Lord for all the blessings you give us thank you Lord that you are here now thank you Lord you fill us with your joy and that we are able to come into your presence and worship you and, and give you glory. Amen. Do you want to sit down? We have two youngsters groups today. We have our normal children's groups and we have our monthly um, group for those in key stage two. So uh, it's time for you to go to your groups now. Uh, let's just pray for you as, we go, uh, as you go. Lord Jesus, thank you for all these folks. Thank you for the folks who lead them. And thank you, Lord, for all the youngsters. We pray that your spirit will go with them, will be with them, 
and they will know what it is to know that they are loved by Jesus as much as we do. So Lord, please bless your, put your hand of blessing on them. Amen. As they go, let's turn to our opening prayer together. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires are known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So let's continue to worship the Lord. I'm going to ask we stand for this again. We're going to say the Gloria together. So let's stand. Let's say with the voice of conviction that um, let's really lift the roof with this. Let's say together. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. Lord God, heavenly King, almighty God and Father, we worship you. We give you thanks. We praise you for your glory. Lord Jesus Christ, only Son of the Father, Lord God, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Receive our prayer. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the whole. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's remain standing. We've just said, Jesus reminded us of Jesus Christ who takes away the sin of the world. We're going to sing a song which I put in really as in place of a creed, which reminds us that I believe there is a God in heaven who paid the price for all my sin. I believe there is a God in heaven who paid the price for all my sin. Shed his blood to open up the way for me to walk with him. Gave his life upon a cross, took the punishment for us, offered up himself in love, Jesus. Jesus, it is finished, was his cry, not even death could now deny, the Son of God exalted high, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I believe there is a God in the price for all my sin, shed his blood to open up the way for me to walk with him, gave his life upon a cross, took the punishment for us, offered up himself in love, Jesus, Jesus, did his finish was his
a God in heaven who paid the price for all my sin, shed his blood to open up the way for me to walk with like to be seated for our Bible reading. The reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 13. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a notable ta noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well, see that his children obey him. He must do so in a ma manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. Then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect. Not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. As Peter comes to preach to us, let's pray for him. Again, we thank you for Peter, we thank you for his leadership of this church, we thank you for his love for you, and we ask, ask now, Lord, that you would anoint his words, that your peace rule in his heart, may we hear you through him, Lord, may we respond where we need to. Amen. 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 Thank you, John. I have a visual aid, I just need to get it.
If you're wondering, I'm not going to be doing Lego during the talk, so don't worry too much. All will become clear. 1 Timothy 3, as John said, um, <clears throat> we are going to, uh, this is the, the last time we're looking at this until after Lent. Uh, during Lent, we're going to be looking at prayer and thinking about prayer and uh, Lent, of course, starts on Wednesday. Uh, so during Lent, we're going to be looking at something else. But uh, 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 13. And so we've been looking um, at this letter to Timothy from Paul. And today we, we reach the topic of leadership. And particularly uh, the topic of leadership in the local church. And I wonder what your top ten qualities would be for a good church leader. I don't want you to tell me because I may feel I don't fit the bill. So just in your own mind, have a little think. What do you think would be for you the top ten qualities of a good church leader? Uh, it's quite the usual thing, isn't it? When a, a church faces an interregnum, uh, an interregnum is when the vicar's left and the church and the diocese are wanting to appoint a new vicar. Uh, the church is often asked that question. What do we want to see in our next vicar? What do we want to see in our new leader? And quite frankly, I've seen quite a few of those, this, and quite a lot of them, not even Jesus would fit the bill. I'd just say that. Well, Paul here in 1 Timothy lays out what he thinks are the essentials of uh, qualities for church leaders. You may or may not agree with them all, but let's see what he says uh, for the key things to look, look for in a good <coughs> church leader. Uh, let me just say a couple of things before we get into the passage itself. Firstly, leadership is key for a healthy church. There is no doubt about it. But what is leadership? Uh, that is a hotly debated topic in itself. There's a huge literature on that question, what is leadership? Uh, there are many definitions out there that you could pick from. I've just picked out three of what I think are very good definitions of leadership. Again, you may, may or may not agree with them. Abraham Lincoln said this, leadership is the art of mobilizing others to want to struggle for shared aspirations. I'll say that again. Leadership, he said, is the art of mobilizing others to want to struggle for shared aspirations. I think that's a good one. Uh, another president of the United States, Harry Truman, said this, leadership is like the abominable, abominable snowman whose footprints are everywhere but is nowhere to be seen. That's a good one as well, I think. And this one, I don't know who said this, but I do like it. Leaders change the way people think about what is possible. Leaders change the way about what people think is possible. Leadership is no small thing. It is not to be entered into lightly. But to be a leader is a noble thing. And so Paul describes what he thinks are the qualifications of Christian leaders. And the truth is every the success of every organization around the planet uh, does rest strongly on the quality of its leadership. You think of any organization, the quality of leadership is a huge uh, part of what makes that organization or whatever it is successful. That's the first thing. Leadership is key. Quickly, another thing, let me just say this as well. 
When I am preparing to preach, when when I've been preparing to preach on this passage, I am gulping. Because this scripture is directed at the likes of me who is ordained in the Church of England. This is directed fully at someone like me in leadership. And so it's like I've got a mirror looking at me as I preach. And And I'm thinking and I'm asking myself, do I live up to these very high standards? And all I can say is, please pray for me. Because, and any others you know who are in church leadership, we need your prayers. We really do. So this morning, as we look at what St. Paul says makes an effective church leader, that is what we need to bear in mind. And the question of leadership, of course, is heavily weighing on the leaders of the church in Ephesus, and particularly on Timothy. If you remember, as we've looked back at uh, <coughs> chapters 1 and chapters 2, uh, the, the church has been troubled by false leaders or by false teaching. And others are trying to uh, put the leaders off course and they're trying to teach what isn't the true gospel. They, they've been leading people off course. And they have been causing all sorts of damage within and outside the church. And as a result of them, two of them, Hymenus and Alexander, who are mentioned at the end of chapter 1, have been expelled from the church. Paul has sent them off uh, elsewhere. And so the, the church is faced with the question, who is going to replace them? Who should replace those people uh, as leaders? Leaders, says Paul, or leadership, says Paul, is not, in, not to be entered into lightly. Verse 1 of our reading says that, doesn't it? Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble thing or noble task. You see, despite the disrepute that others have brought the church into into that role, the leaders, they are still, if you're aspiring to leadership, you're still aspiring to be into a noble role, a noble thing, a beautiful thing. Leadership of God's church involves the care and nurture of God's people. It is a good work. It is a a great honour. But just having that desire to lead isn't enough. And so Paul goes on to describe what to look for in appointing or selecting leaders. And in so doing, he talks about two types of leaders in this passage, in this reading. And uh, the NIV describes them or translates that as overseers and deacons. The original Greek for those two words are presbyteros and diakonos. The presbyteros and the diakonos. Now we're not going to get too technical here, but I do need to go into a little bit about what those two words mean uh, as we translate presbyteros and diakonos. You can translate those words, particularly presbyteros, in different ways. And uh, presbyteros is where we get the word presbyter, uh, where the Presbyterian church comes from, as it were. Uh, And also you can describe that or translate as overseer. Sometimes more controversially translated as bishop. Diakonos is an easier word to translate. It's It's a Greek word that basically means servant. And so this is where you get the uh, the overseer or the bishop and the deacon. Those are where you get the translations from, overseer and deacon. 
Now, Paul doesn't go into, as we've read it, you, you probably noticed that Paul doesn't really describe uh, the differences, too much of the differences between those two roles. He's more about what's similar than different. And so we've got to be a little bit careful here as we jump into the 21st century from the 1st century, not to jump into the modern 21st century Anglican way of thinking about the way the church is ordered. But we do need to bear in mind that the Church of England or the Anglican Church around the world is ordered into bishops, priests and deacons. So we just need to bear that in mind a little bit. Now I think it's safer to translate that uh, overseer or presbyteros as the local church leader. You don't get the word vicar in the New Testament. It isn't found. But I think this is what Paul, Paul is talking about, the local church leader who has oversight over the local church. I think that's what he's talking about. And so with that in mind, essentially, this scripture is addressing the likes of myself and Ursula. Essentially, this is, this is who this passage is directed at, us who have leadership of the local church. But I would say that these qualities, as Paul describes uh, as being necessary for leadership, don't just apply to bishops and priests and deacons. They apply to leaders across the board within the church but particularly in this regard to those who are in overall leadership. And as I said, you probably noticed that the, the requirements are similar between the overseer and the deacon. There's not a lot different between them. But that's not surprising, is it? Because really, if you're looking for a leader, you're looking for someone that you can look up to. And so it's reasonable to look at those and to piece those two together. But of course, the higher the responsibility, the higher the standard that is called for. Okay, with that all in preface, what are we looking for in our leaders? You've probably noticed also, Paul doesn't lay out what we might look for in a CV. In a CV, you're looking for, okay, what have they done in the past? What experience have they got? What skills do they bring? What, you know, all these sorts of things that the CV has got. What education have they got? Paul doesn't say that, does he? He does mention two things. He talks about the ability to teach. And he talks about the ability to manage. But what he's saying is, actually, it's not so much what they can do as to who they are. He's not so much focusing on the doing, he's, he's talking about their character. That is what he focuses in, in on, the character of the leader. That is what he's interested in. And top of that list, he says in verse 2, is that they need to be above reproach. That's a pretty broad term, isn't it? They need to be above reproach. That can cover anything. That can cover any aspect of behavior, inward and outward. In essence, Paul is saying that the leader needs to be above blame. There needs to be no observable grounds for blame. No accusation can be held against them. Now, I'm sure Ursula would agree with me. I'm not perfect, and I'm sure Ursula would say she is not perfect. However, Paul is saying that we need to be, in, in that sense, above reproach. If we were called to be perfect, we would be disqualified straight away. And so, to help the church know what that looks like, Paul then describes how to measure that above reproach. 
And so I was thinking about how do I put this across to you uh, in terms of how we measure that? And I thought, aha, when you measure an item of furniture or a box or something that you want to fit into a place, you have to measure three things. It's length, it's depth, it's width. So for sake of argument, this box is a piece of furniture. It's not. It's a box where you put Lego. But for sake of argument, it's a piece of furniture. So we have to measure, is this bit of furniture going to fit where I want to put it? Or to transfer that to leadership, is that leader going to fit? Have they got, as it were, what it takes? And the first thing, for sake of argument, that Paul talks about is their longevity. So, for those of you who can't see this, I'm measuring my box. So we go, I measure my box. How long is my box? Does my box fit into that place that I want it to go? And so Paul is saying you need to look at the leader's longevity. In other words, how long have they been a Christian? So verse 6. He must not be, and I will say she as well, he or she must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. So Paul is saying that person must not be a new Christian. Which brings to mind the parable of the sower and the seeds that Jesus tells, doesn't he? The seed is sown, plants either wither, grow, or die, as Jesus says in that parable. Sometimes they are choked by the weeds. Sometimes they produce a good harvest. You've got to give those plants time to grow. And so a person who is aspiring to be a church leader needs to have put down their roots in Christ before they are suitable to be a leader. He says the same with deacons, those who are called to be a deacon in verse 10. They must first be tested And then if there's anything against them, then let them serve as a deacon. So Paul Paul is saying, you've got to look at the length of time that they have been a Christian. If they're a new new Christian, hmm, be concerned. If they've been a Christian a while, that's better. They have got to be tested in their face. They must demonstrate commitments to Christ. They must demonstrate loyalty to Christ. They must demonstrate that they have got what it takes to persevere in Christ. That's the first thing he says, their longevity. The next thing he says, you've got to measure their depth. I'm going to measure the box for its depth. Okay, so does my box fit? What is their depth? Paul says it's not just enough to say, well, hmm, this person has been a Christian for a while. You've also got to look at something else. Are they mature? in faith. Also, it's about the depth. How much has Christ entered into their life? And most of this passage, in fact, is talking about their depth, their rootedness in Jesus. Most of what Paul talks about is their rootedness or their depth in Christ. That is really what he's interested in looking at. Is their obedience in Christ shallow or deep? Are they stable in their faith or are they a bit shaky? How firm are their foundations? Can you see why this is so confronting for me to preach on? Because this is looking at someone in my situation. 
And so the first place Paul says to look at in that depth aspect of their walk with Christ is their marriage. Look at their marriage, if they are married. And so Paul says, they're above reproach, and then says, Paul says, the leaders must be faithful, the leader must be faithful to his wife. Other translations have it slightly differently. Some say married only once. Some say the husband of one wife. Now, that raises some questions. The, Paul, the, the phrase he, he uses there is a difficult one to interpret. He could mean that leaders are called to be celibate. But, but actually, Paul, um, sorry, he could mean that leaders mustn't be single, except that sometimes Paul does endorse celibacy. He could be disqualifying polygamists. Uh, leaders can only be married to one person, not two or three or four, whatever. He's, it could be these disqualifying polygamists. But that is redundant because polygamy really wasn't well practiced in those times. It wasn't really something they they would have thought about, let alone in the church. It could have been a prohibition against people who have remarried after being widowed. Except if you look at chapter 5 in the same letter, Paul seems to be saying the opposite. Likewise, it could prohibit remarriage following divorce. Although again, in some circumstances, Paul does allow that. So weighing all, that, all those up, I think actually the best translation, the best way of understanding it is that leaders must be completely faithful in their marriage. Leaders must uphold their marriage vows. That is the most intimate, most personal way that they can demonstrate their faithfulness. Being faithful in marriage is a good sign of a good leader, that they will be faithful in other areas. Beyond their fidelity, then he says, a leader's conduct that they should have good control over themselves. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, etc. A leader has got to be self-controlled in their reasoning and in their judgments. They must be stable and temperate. They must be able to keep their passions and their impulses in check. That is demonstrated outwardly, he says, by their respectability. Now, I don't think he means, you know, all being sort of stuffy and serious and you, it's not, you can't have a sense of humour. I don't think he means that. I think it's a talking about a leader having or being dignified. It's not that they've got to master self-control. It's that they've got to manage themselves in their behaviour and their conduct. If they don't, what hope have they got in managing others? If a church can't respect its leader, how will they ever follow them? I've been ordained for over 20 years. And so I can speak from some experience here. That my self-control is often put to the test when I am in a disagreement situation with somebody else about whatever it is. My self-control is, is best tested or most tested in that sort of situation, when I'm in a, a, a situation where I'm not in agreement with somebody else. That really tests my self-control. And believe me, I'm still learning. I've got a long way to go in this. 
So leaders have got to demonstrate that they can handle a conflict situation well, that they can handle difference well. And so Paul says they mustn't be people who resort to violence or be quarrelsome. And if you remember in chapter 1, he says the false teachers, that's what they like, they're quarrelsome. Uh, they're They're argumentative. Paul says, no, they must be gentle. They must be gentle. The model we have is is of Christ, who spoke the truth but with love. Furthermore, Paul says they've got to be blameless with regard to the traps of the world around them. They mustn't be addicted to wine, but be self-controlled in how they indulge it. They mustn't be driven by a love of money. Jesus says something, don't be uh, um, taken up by a love of money. You cannot serve both God and money. Paul says later on in in the letter, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. However, in chapter 6 of this same letter, a lot of the false teachers had been uh, drawn in by uh, by money. They were wanting to get rich, as it were, by being uh, a leader. Paul says, no, be careful about that. Be careful what you're like with money. Don't be led astray. Instead, says Paul, be hospitable. Open up your home. Look after others. Look out for others. Be generous with what God has given you. Don't hoard up things for yourself. Be generous to others in what you have. So all that is about depth, that measurement. How, How deep is Christ rooted in someone's life? They've got, to be de- they've got to demonstrate that Christ has got a deep root in them, that they are being transformed by Christ, that they are constantly turning to turn from sin and turn to righteousness. They must keep hold, says Paul, of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Fight the good fight, says Paul. Keep faith and with a good conscience. So, length, depth, and lastly, width. Okay? So the width of my box, okay, that's fine, that fits. Now, thankfully, we're not talking about a waist measurement here. <laughs> um, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the fact that there, there mustn't be, says Paul, a discrepancy between their public life and their private life. That's what he's talking about. Their faith must be widely evident. So, says Paul in verse 4, a leader must demonstrate that they can manage their household or family well. And that is where this really hits home, if you'll forgive the pun. How, as church leader, I behave to my wife and my grown-up children is so important because they can easily get the brunt of things. If I'm tired or I'm stressed... It's so vital that as far as I can, I love them well and I say sorry when things go wrong. And that is the same for anyone in church leadership. And by doing that, that enables them to love and support me too. Now in Paul's day, the public, the the, the division between the the public and the private, it, it was much more blurred. There wasn't no such real clear division between the private and the public. A household was more than just those who lived in it, the, the nuclear family that we're used to. Because it included extended family, it included servants, it included slaves. Sometimes it included animals. 
But the family, yes, was still the fundamental unit of society. It was a place also of business and politics. And so the household with Paul is a perfect place for a leader to demonstrate their ability to manage and direct others. If they can't manage their own household well, how on earth are they going to manage the church well? That's what he's saying. Beyond their homes, leaders have got to have good reputation in the community. And so Paul says, this use of, he uses the word outsiders. He must also say, in verse 7, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. That means those outside the church, to the widest possible audience, those who are out there, a leader must be above reproach. And ultimately, this is for the good of the gospel. For those who are speaking out and teaching and preaching the gospel. Uh, I don't know if you know, but alongside my vicar job, I have another role uh, for the diocese. And I do some work as what is called an assistant diocesan director of ordinance. It's quite a mouthful. Um, ADDO is is a a short way of putting it. Um, The church has such lovely difficult terminology doesn't it um anyway as an addo my one of my job is to um discern uh in candidates for ministry if god is calling them to ordination and one of the qualities we look for is exactly what paul says here can this person in front of me as it were effectively share the gospel with those outside the church Does their life, as it were, shine for Jesus? That's what we're looking for. Does their life shine for Jesus? And so all of this is about Paul saying we need to remove obstacles for people hearing the good news of Jesus. That's the situation that Timothy is facing in Ephesus. The false teachers are bringing the gospel into disrepute. And so Paul is very concerned with who they choose as leaders. The faith is threatened by those who might shipwreck the church by poor leadership. And so Paul says, your leaders must have a good reputation, even amongst those outside the church, because there is a danger that those leaders might fall into disgrace and bring the church down with them. And yes, it does happen, very sadly. So, leaders must demonstrate that Christ rules their life. Length, breadth, breadth and height. Whatever aspect, Paul says they must be above reproach. And so the church needs leaders whose lives in every dimension, length, breadth, breadth and height, honours Jesus, glorifies Jesus. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to end what I'm saying by reading the same reading that I read last week uh, from Philippians 2 because again I just think it sums up so well the attitude that God is calling of those who God is calling into church leadership for those who want to follow in the footsteps of Christ who is our servant king Philippians 2 Paul says have the same attitude as Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. going to go straight into a time of intercession now. And for a lot, much of the time we're going to fo focus on um, praying for leaders in the church. Peter referred briefly to a number of uh, occasions where leaders have fallen quite badly. Those of us who have, uh, who have done um, the church um, child and vulnerable adult um, protection training will know the story of, uh, um, of, of Bishop Peter Ball. We're also still aware of the accusations which have been leveled against Mike Pilavachi, and we're aware of many more. So we do need to pray for our leaders. That's because they are under more attack. You know, the devil can take out a leader, he's taken out the church. So we do need to pray faithfully for our leaders. So let's do that now. Lord Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Saviour, Lamb of God, who bore the sins of the world, we come to you on behalf of our leaders. First of all, again, we thank you for them. We thank you for calling them into the office they have. We thank you for bringing them to our church. And so we do want to lift Peter and Ursula and all others in any form of leadership in this church up before you. We ask that you would continue to change them from one degree of glory into another. We ask that you would continue to convict them of sin where it needs to be. And we ask that you would lead them on. Lord, help us to keep help us to keep praying for them and help us to stop criticizing. Help us to pray and help us keep us praying, Lord, that you you would make of them the leaders you want them to be. And again, Lord, we thank you for them. And Lord, we pray too for the leadership in the wider church. We pray for the Archbishop of Canterbury. We pray for the Archbishop of York. We thank you, Lord, that they are both men who know you and love you and preach your gospel. But again, we want to pray your protection around them, and we want to pray for your wisdom for them, Lord. 
and for all the bishops in this country and all ministers in this country, Lord, as they grapple with difficult situations. And Lord, we think at the moment of immigrants who either truly convert to Christianity, convert to, to Jesus, or profess it to try and wangle their way into this country. We ask for wisdom, Lord. We ask for discernment for all in leadership as they try to sort out which is which. And Lord, as a sideline, as we think of this situation, we do want to pray, Lord, that that would not inhibit the preaching of your gospel amongst all those who need to hear it. We ask, Lord, again, that you would pour out your spirit, the spirit of power as well as wisdom and of discernment into all those who are working with res refugees. And Lord, we pray for your protection around our leaders. We pray again that you would continue to help them to grow, Lord, in their own faith, and you will pour out your blessing upon them. Amen. Finally, in a moment of quiet, as we, again, bear in our mind's eye the risen Lord Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, bearer of our griefs, bearer of our sorrows, bearer of our sicknesses, bearer of our, bearer of our illnesses, let us in a moment's quiet lift up all those we know who are in need of one sort or another, Particularly, there are many in this congregation who are facing very serious health issues. So let us now, just in a moment of quiet, lift them up before Jesus. Ask the children to return, please, from their groups. And in the meantime, reminded us at the beginning that because of what Jesus has done, we have peace with God. That peace means we are forgiven. That means we have an enormous depth of relationship with Jesus and God our Father. So as we, as we wish each other the peace of God, that is what we are doing. So let us bless each other. May the peace of the Lord be always with you. Let's spend a moment sharing that peace with other, as always, being sensitive to anybody who wants to keep some sort of social distance.
as we we return to our seats and as um, Peter comes to lead us in communion, we focus again on the cross and what Jesus did for us there. Oh 
The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give thanks and praise. It is Almighty God, good Father, to us all. Your face is turned towards your world. In love you gave us Jesus, your Son, to rescue us from sin and death. Your word goes out to call us home to the city where angels sing your praise. And so we join with them in heaven's song, saying together, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and strength, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Father of all, we give you thanks for every gift that comes from heaven. To the darkness, Jesus came as your light. With signs of faith and words of hope, he touched untouchables with love and washed the guilty clean. This is his story. This is, this our, is our song. song. Hosanna in us. The crowds came out to see your son. Yet at the end, they turned on him. On the night he was betrayed, he came to table with his friends to celebrate the freedom of your people. This is his story. This is our song. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus blessed you, Father, for the food. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body given for you all. Jesus then gave thanks for the wine. He took the cup, gave it, and said, this is my blood shed for you all, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. This is our story. This is our song. Hosanna in our hearts. Therefore, Father, with this bread and this cup, we celebrate the cross on which he died to set us free. Defying death, he rose again and is alive with you to plead for us and all the world. This is our story. This, this is, is our song. Hosanna in the highest. Send your Holy Spirit on us now, that by these gifts we may feed on Christ with open eyes and hearts on fire. May we and all who share this food offer ourselves to live for you, and be welcomed at your feast in heaven, where all creation worships you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Blessing and honour and glory and power be yours forever and ever. 
our Saviour Jesus has taught us. So we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood, which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you. And feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. We'll continue our normal custom of sharing communion uh, by coming to the middle table to take the bread and either side to take the wine. And the table over there will have the non-alcoholic wine to share from. You will be directed forward.
Body of Christ keep you in eternal life. Amen. And the blood of Christ keep you in eternal life.
say a post-communion prayer together. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gates of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope you have set before us, so we and all your children shall be free, and the whole earth live to praise your name. Through Christ our Lord. a couple of other things to do before we have our last hymn. I'm first of all going to ask um, the children's, the young folks groups to come forward and um, give us a, uh, let us know what they've been doing today so that we can share with them. Good morning, everyone. Some of us here might remember the TV programme, This Is Your Life. And at Children's Club, we did an episode of This Is Your Life. And I'm delighted to say that Jesus, uh, who was planning to come here for coffee and cake, was actually tricked. And we read his life story in uh, Children's Club. And the one thing we learned was that throughout Jesus' life, he prepared for everything. So whenever he did miracles, he prepared by spending time in prayer. And as a church, we're about to enter into a time of Lent, a time of preparation for Easter. And so we had a chat about what we could do, uh, uh, the children, to prepare for Lent. And we discussed various options. You could either give something up, like giving up chocolate, which didn't go down that well. Or you could take something on and someone suggested being nice and kind and helpful um, to your neighbours. And the children made a little bit of a, a sort of a pledge for Lent I will. And they wrote down what they would either hopefully give up or take on during the course of the next 40 days and 40 nights. So we had a bumper group today because we had Alice and Sophie and I also persuaded Naomi and Josh to come out as well. Um, so we were thinking today about, our, well I'll ask them, what, what were we thinking about today? Can you remember? <laughs> come, and, come and stay here so that everybody can hear. Hopefully you can remember something. Um, how like God doesn't like judge us, like he loves us all. Like, we did this theory thing about the great hot air balloon? Yeah, the great yeah. balloon debate. Yes. And it was, you had eight people, and you had to decide which four people you wanted to 
um, stay on the hot air balloon or and like which four people you wanted to chuck off. <laughs> and, um, there was a reason for that. It was, <laughs> there was an emergency, so you could only keep four. Yeah. Yeah, and um, we made it about how like Jesus like doesn't judge us because we judge it based on like appearances and what their qualities were, and it was how Jesus doesn't judge us. Um, like by appearances or qualities. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Well done, Sophie. Excellent. Alice, what can you remember? Um, we talked about stuff that has value, not just money value, but sentimental value to you and just you as a person. Okay, yeah. So we talked about, we talked about the things that we value, and often it's not just about how much they're worth in monetary terms that you were talking about necklaces and things that you've been left by grandmothers and why they were valuable to you and then we looked at the the parable the parable the parable of can you remember what parable it was we looked at yeah of the great pearl of the um you know the pearl of infinite value and we looked at what our worth is to to god and how um our value is is yeah we can't um we're invaluable to God. Yeah? Excellent. All right. Thank you. Well done. Before we, am I on? Before we finish our services, the inevitable notices, um, as you would have gathered, Lent starts this week, so there's an Ash Wednesday communion service in church here at 7.30. Good, as I'm playing for it, I'd better make sure I turn up at the right time. Um, 7 o'clock tonight in the foyer, we have the one prayer meeting. This is a long-standing prayer meeting. We will be doing two things tonight. We started last Sunday, last time we met in January, Try, uh, starting to listen to God for um, where, how he wants the church to grow, how he wants the church to develop. And we're going to be re revisiting that tonight. We're also going to be spending some time praying in name for a number of uh, people within our fellowship who have quite serious health issues. Um, it, it's not appropriate to pray for them by name in the morning because this service is uh, live-streamed. It's also recorded and we don't have folks' permission to share their, their details. But if you want to come and pray for the, these folks, do come along tonight at 7 o'clock. This, uh, this is an important prayer meeting. We'd be grateful if you could you know, consider coming and joining us. Um, 2nd of March, am I right, James? Yep, okay. Is the, of course, I've got the, the crib sheet here. Is the Riding Lights presentation of The Narrow Road. Okay. Um, there are leaflets about it. There are slightly more uh, detailed information sheets about it on the tables in the foyer. Do think about coming. If you um, want to come and haven't bought a ticket yet, please see James afterwards, and he will, he will be very, very pleased to, see you, uh, to sell you one. Tickets are ten, uh, ten quid each and uh, six quid for concessions. Um, it's, um, that's well worth the price. Uh, do see James afterwards um, if you want a ticket. The only thing I would say is, uh, please bear in mind, that he will only accept cash, that old-fashioned uh, pre-pandemic uh, pre form of currency. Um, finally, the, um, we've had some more church directories printed off there uh, in a um, basket at the back, by the door where you came in. 
if you want one. We would appreciate a donation of um, something around a pound to cover the cost of du paper and ink and du duplication, etc. So do pick yours up if you haven't got one already. We're going to finish as we started in praise to God. Oh, hang on. He's just remembered there's another notice. Uh, bands of marriage to read, which I need to read because it's the first Sunday in which they're being read. So, I'm going to do that. I publish a bands of marriage between Richard David Powell of this parish and Joanne Schofield, also of this parish. This is for the first time of reading. If anybody knows any reasons, reason in law why these two persons may not marry, you are to declare it now. Thank you, John.
I've run out of juice. Um, before I, um, we, uh, we, we finish, can I thank all those who have been involved in the service this morning? For Peter, for his excellent preach, for Ian, trying to keep up with me on the, uh, um, on the projector as always. John on the sound, who's had a lot more to deal with. All my new colleagues in the music group. And of course, to all of you for coming, and for all of those of you who have joined us online this morning. Let's finish, shall we, by saying the grace together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and evermore. Amen. Plenty of battery. I don't know what's. Oh, I'm working now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Yes, I don't know. But it was, it was fine because I don't think I was coming through. Um. <laughs>